Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. Today, we are offering five conversations from episode 40, our review of last week's Paris Nash conference, plus from the vault, our most downloaded conversation ever, which comes from Paris Nash 2021. This conversation starts with Jorn Schottenberg discussing his topic in Paris Nash. His conversation comes from the topic he received from the organizers. Once the drug is available in the clinic, which test will you use to decide whether the patient gets the drug or not? Jorn notes quickly that he will use neither biopsy nor FIB4, then comments that fast was designed for this purpose, but doesn't rise to the level he would hope to find, and that no current test today provides sufficient guidance. Scott Freeman raises a parallel question, which is once you commit a patient to drug therapy, how will you determine whether the patient is responding or not, particularly if response rates in drugs like resmeterol may be as low as 25 or 30 percent? Your notes that most of the data we see today is aggregated, rather than individual patient-level data we will need to assess how it on these tests. As he says, we get a lot of median values, not a lot of spaghetti charts. Laurent Costera goes on to note there's much, much data on this issue, period, and then goes on to discuss one study that does exist in viral hepatitis. In this context, he describes a two-stage decline in test scores over time, with more robust early decline and slower decline later, and questions whether reduction in stiffness results from a decline in inflammation or fibrosis. As the conversation winds down, the floor goes back to Scott Friedman and to York. Scott notes that while the question is interesting, declines in inflammation or fibrosis each correlate with with improved outcomes, so it may be less important practically than academically. He also notes that currently developing fibrosis-specific markers like Pro-C3 may help answer the question of fibrosis in the long run. Jorn comments that the answer he gave in the meeting is a form of it depends. In this case, it might depend on the starting level of drug, whether the decline in numbers is early or late stage, and the initial fibrosis level for the patient. Along with NASHTAG, Paris NASH is one of two famously small, famously science-based, publicly available events every year. We cannot really cover the entire meeting in a single wrap-up episode. Frankly, we've never been able to do so. But this conversation neatly captures some of the key dynamics in the meeting, and particularly ones around NITs. It's a lot to digest, and frankly, I had to chew on it multiple times before I wrote our summaries. So sit back, listen, learn, enjoy, and when you're done, join the dialogue in our LinkedIn discussion group. Jarn Schottenberg. This discussion leads over very nicely into uh, the topic I was given by the organizers, and I don't want to hijack your talk, Laurent, but the challenge, and uh, Laurent Serfati uh, asked me straightforward after the question is, once you get a treatment in the clinic, which test are you going to use to decide if the patient gets the drug? And I said, I'm not going to use liver biopsy, but then I had to say what I'm going to do. And that step was much more difficult, also based on what Laurent said, because the positive predictive value, so I, I can't use FIB4 because then six percent of the patients are not the ones I want to treat. So you mentioned FAST, which was designed to do that, but still the positive proactive value wasn't quite where we wanted. So we need a little bit more sophisticated. The title was using NITs for treatment decision. And um, I recapitulate, I'm happy to give some of the content back again. So the task will even be more difficult to determine which patient to be treated for how long and how to determine treatment response compared to identification of patients. And I'll be happy to hear your thoughts on that, Laurent, and, or maybe also Scott, you know, based on some novel technologies and markers we might be seeing in the future. Scott Friedman. Well, I don't have more wisdom than either you or Laurent on this issue, but I have a parallel question, which is once you commit a patient to therapy, how are you going to know whether they're the, in this case of Madrigal's drug, the 25% who are responding or the 75% who aren't and therefore need to stop therapy and consider something else? And I haven't heard many discussions at all about that. So I'd appreciate the experts' thoughts about what, what are you actually going to do to know if your patient is responding? Well, 
they're going to wait for the ALT to go down or MRE or just a fiber scan? How, how are we going to know when it's time to stop the drug if it's not working? A tough question. And I think at the end, we're going to use markers that are available. So when I prepared for the talk, I realized that a lot of the data we're given are cumulates and not so much individual patient data. So I didn't see a lot of spaghetti blots showing these patients are not responding, getting worse, where a lot of times we're seeing like the, the median results. And that doesn't help us at all to make those decisions, Scott. And I'm on your side here. So we need, if a sponsor is listening, please give us that data. Also, we want to see more data being combined to actually say what is the dynamic of the biomarker mean also in the placebo arm if they responded. So to draw strong data from that. But again, I'll, I'll pass it over to you, Laurent, and, and then I'll maybe share my favorite biomarkers for that. Uh, but I'm not sure where, where we want to be yet. Laurent Castera. Yes. Now, I think we're really on the same line. There's several issues. Uh, the first issue is that we don't have much data and you need, of course, data with placebo arm and paired liver biopsy. And we have this data in the regenerate trial. And basically what you see, of course, people on placebo do not have much change. So I'm talking about liver stiffness, but there are other markers that have been tested. And people that are taking treatment have a decline over time. And there seems to be a correlation or let's say a trend toward a correlation between what you see about liver stiffness kinetics over time and histological response to treatment. But I completely agree with you, Jorn. These are trends, aggregates. At the individual level, it's impossible to predict in which group you are. Another issue I think, especially with liver stiffness, is the viability over time. And actually, I delved into the literature to look more into detail. And to my surprise, there's only two papers that dealt with this issue. So a paper that was published almost 10 years ago by Thierry Poinard, taking patients, so it's a retrospective monocentric cohort. So these are, of course, drawbacks. With around 500 examination, uh, let's say between one day and one year. So a median interval around eight months. And to make a long story short, this, uh, I have to say also, only a minority of this patient that naturally around 15%. Most of them were with viral hepatitis. And there was quite a wide variability depending on the relative viability. So that was the, the liver stiffness delta between first and second exam, uh, 20, 30, 50%. And 20%, you had a, 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 around half of patients with 20% over the whole spectrum of liver stiffness measurement. And of course, you have to take into account, given the wide spectrum of value, if you have a 20%, let's say, decrease or increase, it depends where you stand. And if if you have 8 kilopascal and you go above 10, I think it's completely different than if you have, let's say, 45 and you go to 50 or 55. So this also has to be taken into account and put in perspective. So when you look at this data, there is basically high variability. And we don't have clear data in placebo group with spared liver biopsy analyzing this viability. And just, I don't want to spend too much time on this study, but this is the only one we have. Basically, you see that the factors associated with this viability, no surprise, are BMI, operator experience, of course, if you have the same operator between the first and the second exam, and a senior operator, you decrease the viability. Also, of course, BMI, this we know, and probably also inflammation. So what is difficult with liver stiffness is really to discriminate the role 
control of inflammation and fibrosis. And this has been nicely shown, for instance, hepatitis B, because this is the only setting where you have large studies with spurred liver biopsy. And usually what you see when you treat your HPV patient with nukes, there is a, a two-phase decline. So basically, within six months, you have a sharp decline that is parallel to the ALT decline, and this is likely related to inflammation. Then you have a second less steep decline, much slower decline over time. And this is once transaminase are normal, and this is more likely, more likely, we're not completely sure, related to fibrosis. And of course, I would be interested, Scott, to have your opinion about that. But again, the amount of data in the literature is not that high. And even though we have this study by Patrick Marcelin showing with tenofovir that over five years, you have a regression of fibrosis in most patients, including cirrhosis. So these are strong data. But still, how can we use liver stiffness to monitor this so-called regression of fibrosis, uh, we need clearly more more data and more evidence. Well, I mean, the, the reassuring part of the answer to your question, Laurent, is that whether a reduction in stiffness reflects reduced inflammation or reduced fibrosis, they both correlate with improved outcomes. So while in principle, we'd like to know whether it's just the inflammation or, the fi- or is it the fibrosis that's getting better, either one will suffice as long as the stiffness values are consistently decreasing. Both correlate with improvement. The only other consideration is whether newer technologies that are really fibrosis specific, I'm talking about here imaging tests that may measure the amount of collagen that are being developed, or perhaps even things like Pro-C3, which is a fibrosis specific reagent, may add more ability to discriminate between inflammation and fibrosis. Here's what uh, Laurent has said importantly. I think it's depending on the dynamic of the change. If you achieve it early, it might mean something very different compared to the middle and late stage improvement. I think that needs to be emphasized. So uh, the answer of my talk also was it's not a single NIT and you have to interpret it, maybe even based on the MOA of the drug, maybe of the starting level of fibrosis, as Laurent said, it's a difference if you change an NIT from a high level to a little lower level versus like the medium to lower levels to nothing and and, and the dynamics of the change. So the answer is not easy and it's probably not going to be one imaging biomarker by itself. Maybe we'll see some compendium diagnostics and I've uh, more recently learned about, for example, sex hormone binding globulin. This is something that's affected by uh, resmeterone binding to targets. So you might have some indirect markers that reflect the MOA of the drug working in a particular patient to correlate that with then some indirect markers of fibrosis and inflammation. And in the end, come up with a surrogate to suggest that this drug is working in this patient. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with coverage of the FDA's two-day NIT workshop. Until then, stay safe, surf on, and enjoy the last weekend of what is the summer season for most of us in the Northern Hemisphere and the winter for those in the Southern Hemisphere. We'll see you back next week. Bye-bye now.